before we start today, a quick disclaimer. All views expressed are our own and do not indicate the opinions of any employers or clients for whom we work. The recommendations or advice given in this podcast may or may not be right for you, depending on the circumstances. Please bear this in mind before taking any action. Hello and welcome to Charting Tracks. Uh, I'm Chris O'Gorman and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts Amir Yacoub and Ben Hennessy garside uh, Amir is a producer, engineer, Grammy winner, uh, co-owner of Bison Production Studios and director of Garnish Music London. Ben is a highly esteemed voice coach, a multi-instrumentalist, composer and producer and also a music lecturer at Leeds Conservatoire, uh, where he teaches on the popular music course, and in a previous life was an A&R scout as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm Chris, and I'm a digital marketing strategist. I was formerly head of digital at Capital Records UK and a digital manager at Sony Music. Um, I now run a artist development, branding and marketing uh, consultancy business where I help artists brand themselves online. Which comes nicely into the subject of today's episode, which is Know Thyself. Mm. And what this is going to deal with, Last in last week's episode, we talked about laying the foundations and how an artist discovers their sound, um, puts the building blocks together for what their actual musical content is going to be. And now we're moving on to how the artist then takes that takes their takes that to a uh, a public audience takes that to the world i suppose um the areas we're going to talk about here are artist branding artist identity how an artist finds their identity how it translates to actually marketing them, marketing themselves and how it relates to their music and how it relates to their audience as well um and when we were discussing this in our kind of pre-show uh pre-show thoughts the idea of um an, your true self and authenticity was something that kept coming up and um ben i know in your work with students um who are early on in the process this is probably something you deal with quite a lot and i know you've got some interesting insights into it um into how an uh, an artist uh defines kind of who they are you know is it their sound is it their visuals uh is it their sort of lyrical content is it you know what they want to say about the world is it literally just branding and they see this area of music's doing well so i'm going to make that type of music and that means i have to be this type of artist um what does authenticity mean because i think it's something we talk about quite a lot where we people say they connect to an artist because they're authentic um and i thought it'd be interesting to talk about what that kind of means and specifically you know what it means to to you two individually and how you see this with the artists that you work with do you want to talk first ben just about how how this kind of comes into play when you're working with sure. you're working with uh, developing artists yeah sure so um the first thing, I mean, this is a really kind of uh, sticky area. And it's the first thing I, will, I would say is that there are a whole host of different ways of looking at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit reticent to get involved in this. I'm like, we, we're talking about it and we need to. But um, the, the reason why I'm feeling a bit reticent to discuss it is because we still don't know whether true selves, as in real individual people, exist. Right. I mean, we talk about ourselves like like we are one person. Okay. You know, so I'm, I'm talking here, like, forget the music for a minute. I'm talking about 
human beings as individuals, um, mm. where do they end and where do they begin? Right. It's uh, there's psychologists, psychotherapists. They all have answers to that question. That's their domain. I'm obviously not one of those. So I, I have my my thoughts and my ideas as they relate to music, and I'm happy to share them. But I just I just want to say that like these are just my opinions. Hmm. I'm I'm not a therapist. I'm not claiming to be one. Um, I I'm influenced by some of the work of some of them. Um, like we've already discussed before, you and I, Chris, Young, uh, and archetypes and these kind of things. So in my opinion. The true self, i.e. the authentic self, i.e. the self that is us and is always us, I don't believe exists mm, mm. solidly, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm a different person to the person I was two years ago. I'm a different person in front of you, you two, on this podcast mm. than I am in front of you two before <laughs> we press the record button. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain things that are going to be the same. Right, but there's also certain things that aren't going to be the same. So much of who we are is it's context dependent. Mm. You know, like what environment do I find myself in? And I'm going to be making, I'm going to be drawing on bits of myself, and I'm going to be forefronting, foregrounding different parts of me to different degrees yeah. at any given moment. If you think about Jung, say, right, they have he has this concept of the shadow, right, which is this idea that all the parts of yourself that you try and say aren't you so the bits that you hide they are actually there like latent and if you repress them too much they will come out they'll find a way to being found like your subconscious will will find its find its way through you right now i don't want to go too far down the depth psychology kind of route because this is about music but acknowledging that at some level we exist as, as individual personalities but another level we don't at all and that there's a malleability about ourselves is quite important when it comes to, to our music making and our performance. So be wary of just being you, okay? <laughs> the question I'm going to ask is if you say, well, I'm just me. Well, I'm going to say, well, okay, well, who's... Who's that? Which, which, <laughs> which person, right? Because I don't get to see all of you. So, okay, well, which bits then? Mm. And also the other thing is that this music and it's a creative endeavor, right? So do mm. you want to just do you mm. or do you want to have some fun and try on some other, yeah. other things, you know, and plenty of artists have done that, right? Well, where do I start? Okay. So, I mean, yeah. the first thing is people adopt a stage name, right? Yeah. Even David Bowie, right? Isn't actually called David Bowie, mm. but then David Bowie as the stage artist then invented Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Inception, right? It's like three levels, yeah. <laughs> three levels deep of artistic creation. Um, yeah. Now, you could argue that in the act of exploring what it's like to be a spaceman, David Bowie is touching on some kind of authentic truth. All of us have this explorer in us. We, there's probably times when we've been moving through life and we find ourselves in a kind of alien situation. So by taking on this, um, another Jungian term, persona uh, of an alien, there is some creative exploration of the human condition. So I mm. suppose you could say there's a kind of truth to that. 
but is it the authentic, authentic, real, honest, solid, just just me being me truth? No, <laughs> it's way more interesting and fun than that, um, you know. And it's not fixed, like you say, at any point in time. So that makes me think then what comes first or, you know, is it an artist kind of feeling that they have a certain identity and a certain worldview and they then make music that fits that or are they and this is what i talked to amir a little bit about as well it's like because amir when you get an artist in your studio and you're doing a writing session with them you're kind of at the early um creation point of mm. their journey mm. way before they come to me <laughs> for for, mm-hmm. for branding and marketing so is it already forming then is it the music that you're like they get drawn to a certain sound and therefore then the branding and the identity and the architect comes afterwards yeah um I mean, how, how, how do you think that develops in my experience and um funny enough i am experiencing this at the moment i'm working with someone who i'm not going to mention who it is um at this point in time but i'm working with someone who has already got a great following um mm. she's already what you would call famous. Um, Mm. And um, she feels that the version of her that has been put forward Mm. to the public thus far is not who she is. So now we're working together. Um, What's happening there is we're trying to put forward both musically and in other ways, a version of her, which is her basically, Mm. which is more true to herself. And, and I mean, this episode couldn't have come at a more um, <laughs> relevant time based on Great. that experience. Yeah. Um, you know, if we put her aside for a minute and we kind of think of um, maybe other people who might be developing, who might be um, earlier stages kind of less well-known. Mm. Um, no preconceptions, no yeah. sort of... Yeah. I think... My experience with that has, a lot of the time, it has been, you know, it's twofold. And this is where this ties into what Ben was saying. A person might come in thinking that there's someone and we might walk away with having bought someone else out of them. Mm. (laughs) And also what you will find is, you know, with, I want to say younger acts, but when I say younger, let's say someone who's young in their career and their musical journey yeah development stage yeah what you'll find is that most of the time they're looking to put on other people's Mm. or to take on other people's personas um so you might have a young female who can sing exceptionally well and she might be you know um i love beyonce and and um a lot of what she would do would lean Mm. towards what Beyonce would do now obviously there starts to become an argument based on what we're talking about today um when we're talking about personas particularly are we taking from other people's personas so heavily that we are being classed as just a poor man or woman's version of that person like there's if particularly if you think about it in art there's a lot of copycatting that mm. happens um and so um one of the things that i personally try and do in the creative process mostly is to go look we need to take the really good parts of beyonce 
but we mm. don't need you to be Beyonce because yeah. guess what? We've already got a Beyonce and she does Beyonce really well. No one is going <laughs> to do Beyonce better than Beyonce does Beyonce. Exactly. So let's not try. Let's yeah, exactly. Else. So yeah, that's, I'd say that that's been my experience um, so far. So it's interesting here because what a lot of the time, because I think we, as sort of music consumers, put quite a lot of um, importance on, oh, I want them to be authentic. At least if you're if you're buying into an artist long term, not just like a, a hit song. Yeah. Um, why do we put that importance on authenticity if authenticity probably isn't even real mm. because and, and what the, you know because an artist can go through completely different iterations of their career like somebody madonna like madonna for instance will re reinvent themselves mm. literally with each album campaign yep. um and to a lot of people that might seem oh this is sort of uh inconsistent and i but the thing is because she's made that her brand reinvention is her brand it, it's who she is it's it sort of works and it makes sense mm. um with somebody else if they were to make with another artist for instance if they were to make such a departure it would alienate their fan base mm. um and for, for me kind of normally you know in in the work that i've done in the past when i've been in house at, um record labels where, when we have an artist that comes through and they get signed they already have a kind of idea of who they are mm. or at least they sort of get brought to us and i suppose it's it's our job to sort of package that mm. um which sounds really cold and clinical but it's more about helping them pull out the the um the sort of the main messages and the main elements from what they're doing and give it a sort of cohesive um message i'm, I'm sorry i was just gonna say can i just insert a uh, like a, a little little terminological um, mm. addition to the conversation. Yeah. Um, I I find it really easy, um, or, or I find things become easy when we start distinguishing between um, an artistic persona mm -hmm. and an individual. Yeah. This um, and I, I I actually I think it's healthier for people to do that. So. For example, just then, Chris, you were saying um, somebody, they come to you and they have an idea about who they are. Um, I think perhaps a uh, like a, a healthier way of, of, of conceiving that might be something along the lines of they, they have an idea who their artistic persona is. Mm. So that they, they turn up with an idea of um, the act, their act, right? It is an act. It's a it's it's a creation, yeah? Mm. And creating that distinction and acknowledging, right, the, the person that you are when you're sat on the toilet, <laughs> right, <laughs> doing what you got to do is very different to the person who's walking on the stage. Mm. Yeah. The you who's out at the club in the middle of the night um, and you're hammered and you're dancing to music and you're screaming and shouting at your friends telling them how much <laughs> you love them, right? That's a different person to the person who's in the studio with the producer making making their art right and that person's different from the person who's on on stage at the beginning of a tour you know and you, you might choose mm. to change up your show as, as the tour goes on so it's it's this and as your career and as your career progresses and on a on a different project so you know mm. so what is the relationship do you think then between a, per a personal self and a public self 
uh, between a personal persona like does the the you know does the personal persona sort of influence what the public persona is going to be what the artist persona is going to be because you would think that they would be somewhat linked or could you literally have a, a personal persona that is completely different to an artistic persona i love a venn diagram <laughs> i love a venn diagram right so um just with just with that in mind so if so this is true self right this this hand here for mm. those of you who are just listening i'm holding one hand up that's representing <laughs> one of the circles in a, a in a venn diagram okay right yeah and then this hand uh, this is the other circle in the venn diagram this is the artistic persona right and for some artists there mm. needs to be quite a lot of overlap right so that yeah. bit in the middle of a venn diagram where you've got your two circles crossing over that needs to be quite large right so themselves like or, or who they perceive to be their true self plus their artistic persona they feel like there probably needs to be quite quite a bit of overlap right for other right. artists it's not even a venn diagram they're two completely different things right the mm. uh, you know or, or it, it's 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 so like the circles are, are so so far apart they're maybe not even overlapping at all yeah or they've or they've just just overlapping you know i mean like if you imagine a slipknot okay they're literally wearing a totally different mask to get on stage i know they've started taking the masks off like more yeah. recently but where slipknot was slipknot you know and there was a clown and then there was yeah. you know there was the like um kind of horrific um characters that they were all playing right um I'm guessing that they were not like that with their with their mum. Do you know what I mean? I mean they they might help. They might <laughs> yeah. have been. Yeah. But um, I don't think they were like that, <laughs> right? You know, I don't right. think they so, weren't born wearing a Slipknot. Mask, they weren't born know? wearing a Slipknot <laughs> not mask. You know, screaming about you know. And if they if they were, then that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Now. Are there? Is there something truthful about the work that they're doing? Is there something authentic? Are they, are they expressing something that they they have mm. perhaps felt, and maybe just maybe just turned the amp up to like eleven or twelve? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it could, that that could could be the case. There could be something true in all of that, but also I like the idea of they're not needing to be, right? Like mm. that's. If you feel like as an artist, if you feel uncomfortable doing something, then don't do it. Mm. By the same token, don't feel obliged to be your true self, you know, and and be and be uh, be deeply honest, you know. Don't feel obliged to do that. We because we talked about Beyonce a minute ago, and actually, she's probably a good example for this because yeah. she is this, you know amazing performer high high energy um you know she you know she to, to the point where you know she, she's one of the biggest artists in the world um and she's sort of known for her high energy stage presence but off stage mm. she's an introvert she's not remotely like to the point where she created the sasha fierce alter ego to, mm. to step mm. into for those so with her actually Beyonce, the character has not come from, you know, her heightening up or turning up the amp on her um, uh, her personal uh, identity or her, her 
you know, the, her sort of personal persona, um, it's actually the it's it's not connected to that really at all. It's mm. and that's what's interesting to me. Then how has that developed? Because because normally nine times out of ten, what would happen is an artist will come through the doors at a, at a label and we'll sit with them and get to know them and, you know, listen to the music and we'll get a sense of who they are. And then it's like, right, let's highlight that bit, highlight that bit. And what you're really doing is taking, concentrating those parts that are really mm. there and you're lifting those out. And then you're like, let's, let's bring those to the, you know, to the fore to let's heighten those areas and really concentrate on those two or three sort of core areas. It's quite rare, actually, when in my experience that you get an artist that comes in and they're just something completely different to, you know, that we're basically crafting a, a sort of persona around them from scratch that has nothing to do with who they are. And the reason for that is normally it comes across as inauthentic and people don't connect well with it if it's if because they can kind of sense that there's something not authentic there um but i'm interested yeah. in what the what the kind of exception to that are because i think like beyonce obviously is an exception to that now does it matter that she started in destiny child in a girl group where it wasn't about the artist persona necessarily to begin with and that only kind of emerged later on in her career um and the music that they're kind of putting out was kind of very female empowered r&b so did it take on this persona that she has and did that take on a life of its own because of the music they were making, because that was kind of, you know, mm. the, the musical content. And then the, the persona came afterwards or was it the persona influences the music? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't speak, I can't speak for Beyonce. And uh, like I say, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a psychotherapist or anything, but there's this concept within, um, within, again within Jungian of, of this notion of the of the shadow so it's quite possible that the the parts of Beyonce that she exhibits on stage um are parts that she isn't able to exhibit in a in her everyday life and so that's the place she gets to do her really really do her you know or it could work the other way like maybe those parts of herself are too amped up on stage and so the kind of more reserved the more yeah the the, uh, the more kind of quiet the more you know whatever isn't whatever she's doing on stage that she gets to play that out in her in her personal life so there's there's something about um us being one us presenting one thing and then having this other stuff that isn't being presented and it, you know from a jungian perspective it's like it's in the it's in the the, the subconscious and it wants to find a way to express itself and so we'll we'll make that happen, you know. Um, but again, this is this is this is music. So, uh, like in, in terms of like, where does that come from? I I'm not 100 percent sure. I want, what I want to get onto then is, as a young sort of developing artist, artist early on in their development, how do they? create their artist identity you know they've they're, they're probably at the stage of their career where they're you know as a um as as just a music enthusiast as somebody who enjoys music they probably gravitated towards a genre maybe mm. um and they're starting to create a lot of music in that sort of genre with that sound is that when that starts emerging then the artist identity um Amir, what do you think? Do, when an artist walks through your door, do you feel like 
they want to make this type of sound. Nine. To, I mean, obviously, every artist is different. Mm. Um, but more often than not, do you feel like they come in and they're like, I want to be like this. I want to be like this artist. You touched on that uh, before. They kind of got their artists who they want to be and they emulate the sound. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like that happens more often than mm. not, particularly with people, again, who are younger in their career. They'll look for a lot of cues from um, from people that they listen to slash idolize and mm. and um obviously there is a in my personal way of thinking about it is when it comes to that there's a balance to strike because we talked about not being a clone of of that person um but you know being inspired and influenced enough by that person for someone to maybe to latch on to it as a listener. Mm. So one of the things, and and even if I'm talking from a personal perspective, I'm sure you guys agree. One of the things is if you like an artist, for instance, Sting, Ben loves Sting, mm. right? And and so I think Sting's amazing too. Um, and um, for instance, when Bruno Mars made a song, Locked Out of Heaven, he went, Ah, he's gone for a sting vibe here, hasn't he? Um, and that allows you to latch on as a listener to what he was obviously doing, right? Um, it was kind of blatant. He wouldn't deny it himself, I don't think. Um, I know Bruno Mars established and whatnot, and maybe he can he can take more um, mm. tipping of the hat kind of moves. But coming back to what you were saying, I think developing artists they're definitely going to lean more on that. And in my experience, personally, the way that I work is I try and steer it away from copycatting. Yeah. Um, when you are developing an artist, and obviously, you know, I guess I'm speaking to you directly now. Uh, when you are a developing artist, yes, of course, you're going to be inspired by whoever you're going to be inspired by. But um, one thing I will say is is that you are going to um you're going to want to explore um and try and find a bit of your own persona in there because that's actually what will make you cut through um in my experience hmm. like you know yeah everyone and their mum might love Beyonce and whatever but that's it's done you know um, I think the name that we talked about in our pre-show planning um, and for me remains the most authentic artist perhaps that we'll see for a good few generations, Amy Winehouse. Mm. So she yep. was obviously like heavily inspired by Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Donny Hathaway, and stuff like that. And all of that came across in her music. But Amy Winehouse was Amy Winehouse, man. She wasn't anyone else. Um, you can imagine the person who's talking to you on the record is the same person you would find in, in the pub down in Camden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? You know? <laughs> and that's an interesting example, actually, because I think that is a good example of when there's who the person is their their actual life yep. and her songs came from her life and they were very autobiographical very personal 
Um, and that's really what connected, I think, with that, with, with, with both of her albums, mm. um, but I think particularly the Back to Black album. And she was kind of having this lifestyle of, you know, hard living and, you know, um, you know, uh, heavy drinking and et cetera. And mm. that was then taken, in my view, it was taken and became... And this is kind of where we start getting to a bit of a darker side of the the industry in that, you know, that was definitely something that was picked up upon in the press. It was definitely something that became a selling point for mm. good or for ill. It yeah. became a selling point. Yeah. And definitely. how much was that pushed? How much was that, you know, we're going to go, no, she's a bit wild, you know, because the fact of the matter is a lot of the time that sells, you know, the rebel, you know, we talk about archetypes mm. and then we're going to talk about archetypes a little bit more in a second, you know, well, if you there, and um, I think when you're, when you're marketing an artist, you absolutely early on in the process, figure out where, where they, where they land on the archetypal wheel. And, um, I think early on it was quite clear that Amy probably fits into the rebel um, column of the archetypal wheel, even before kind of the more sort of salacious headlines and things like that. Actually, it was more like, I'm going to go and make um, a jazz soul album <laughs> when that was not even the sound that was happening necessarily at the time. She was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to, oh, okay, I'm going to play with an electric guitar like I'm in a, like, you know, like I'm in a kind of, uh, like a singer-songwriter kind of uh, pop rock band, but I'm actually a hip-hop soul singer. And it's like, there, there's constantly the rebel all the way through mm. the creative process through to the actual public persona. Yeah. Um, so on that, actually, I think let's talk about archetypes because, Ben, you, you mentioned archetypes. And I've got a, a little slide that I'm just going to throw up. Cool. Slidey, slidey. And uh, let's have a look. And we'll describe this for our audio-only listeners and provide a um, a link so that you can see the visual as well. Um, so, archetypes. What is an archetype? Nice. Now, I think for, from my perspective, when I get both of your perspectives on this, um, is that an archetype is essentially, well, it's kind of a bit of a cross between a personality type. It's a brand identity. Is it a psychological profile? Now, Ben, you talk a lot about Carl Jung and uh, you about a lot of his work with um, defining the the main sort of archetypes, but they even go back to before that, don't they? Sort of date back to even sort of Greek mythology, and even and even before that, you see kind of uh, you know goddess and god archetypes appear, appearing again and again throughout history. So it's obviously something that is so embedded in the human psyche that it goes back so far. Mm. Yeah. So so what are they, Ben? So because you, you you know this area. I think in a in a really interesting way. Okay, so the um, archetypes for Jung are they're, they're they're kind of they're instincts, right? But 
that present themselves, perhaps in dreams, perhaps in fantasy or whatever, that present themselves um, in 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 specific forms. And when you go back through history, and when you when you talk to lots of people, there's the, these these images um, kind of appear um, right the way through. Um, Jungians believe that there's a, a biological reason for this. Um, they think it's it's to do with the uh, the it's it's in it's in your genome to see and respond to your it's like witness your own instincts in these ways because the um, the way that they arrive um, to us kind of as images um, is is so uniform. Mm. Um, so I, I say Jungians, some Jungians believe that it's, that mm. it's, uh, that, it, that that's the way it is. Um, now I don't know whether that's true or not. What I do know is that the notion of, of the archetype, that there are these kind of longstanding, mm. um, almost kind of, uh, characters or, um, uh, themes Mm. um expected expected uh behaviors that arise in humans and um in instinctual drives that that turn up in certain ways um there's a, a from a creative point of view it's it's really really useful right i mean this stuff is it's great for writing songs with yeah it's great for it's great for doing your brand work. It's great for yeah. deciding what clothes you're going to wear. It's great for deciding how you want to put your put your group together for performing live. It's like there, there's a whole whole way of looking at this from a from a creative um, angle, and that's the way that I like to talk about it. Um, so um, yeah, now there are kind of there are loads and loads of different ones, right? But there there are twelve and lots of different names, aren't they? For... They, they they have different names. Mm. Um, I mean, if you think, and, and the, the, the other thing as well is, is you can kind of come up with these sorts of things for yourself as yeah. well. You don't have to just stick to the, to the 12 that we, that you've mm. got on this, but, um, there are these, th these 12 that, um, we have on this slide here are, um, they, they come up quite, quite a bit and you can often find them. So for those listening, actually. Should we just describe what what they're seeing? Yeah. So um, so there's a wheel. There's there's twelve on there. Um, we've already talked about one a, a rebel archetype, right? Amy Winehouse has, has got has got some rebel in it. I mean, entire genres live there too, right? Mm. Punk is kind of a rebellious genre. Yeah. 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 Um, rock and roll, right? Um, and then within any given genre, you'll get people from within that genre who are a bit more, who are more rebellious than others, right? Mm. Directly opposite, and because this is this is a good thing. Why this is why I like the wheel as well, right? Is because uh, um, there's opposites as well as adjacents, mm. right? So if you look directly opposite the rebel, you see the innocent on the opposite side. So, you know, for me, when I'm thinking of innocence as relates to music, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of like early Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Mm, yeah, true. Hmm. Early Miley Cyrus, early Britney Spears. And then what happens with a lot of those? And then what happens? But this is the thing, like with Miley Cyrus is a brilliant example mm. of a cross from one side of the wheel to the other. So she moved from the innocent and became the rebel. Rebel, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and from from being a 
child star country singer to sitting naked on top of a wrecking ball. <laughs> that video as well, like, is, is a really nice, like, way of looking for this rebel because she's in Doc Martens, right? Yeah. She's wearing Doc Martens. She's, she, her hair's dyed and it's cut short where it was kind of long and, you know, so th- there's some punk actual mm. referencing going on. But, you know, so that, so there's two. So we have the rebel and the innocent and they're opposite each other. Like, next to the rebel, we, we have uh, the lover, Mm-hmm. and the explorer right i mean the lover well that's all over music right especially you know especially pop mm. opposite the lover you have the hero then the other one that was close to the rebel was the explorer opposite the explorer you have the sage right and so these are people who you know part of their brand so a sage part of the brand identity brand identity they might they might be quite kind of intellectual mm. Yeah. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because again, like with the rebel and the innocent, which are opposite each other on the archetypal will. Yeah. The, um, the explorer and the sage are opposite each other on the archetypal will. And it's interesting there because the explorer is all about the outward world. Yep. Whereas the sage is inter- it's sort of internal knowledge, isn't right. it? Right. Really? And they'll be hanging around, a, hanging around a library looking at books. Yeah. And they're quite probably quite solitary. Right. And the explorer is out in the world finding finding yeah. new 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 stuff and almost i would say on that topic there um the sage might have already explored everything they had to well that's a good point there because does the explorer like with the innocent at some point will probably become the rebel does yeah. the explorer eventually become the say yeah yeah or maybe mm. they maybe they hold both i mean mm. yeah and then near the explorer there's the creator mm-hmm. right opposite the creator there's the magician mm. Somebody like Prince, for instance, might be a magician, or or somebody like Lady Gaga, maybe that's yeah, and right, yeah, and the creator and explorer. I feel like Eno is hanging around that area. Yeah, Brian Eno definitely is. But then there's also something kind of quite alchemical and magician-like and sage-like about him too. Then you've got the healer and the jester, right? So the healer. I mean, who's a healer? I feel, I feel, I feel like Joni Mitchell's a healer. Mm. Healing music. The jester, you've got a bit of comedy, you know, Tenacious D. Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yeah. DJ Khaled. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then near the healer, there's the regular girl or guy, mm. right? And I think, and opposite the regular girl or guy, there's also, there's the ruler. Mm. Mm. Um, but the, the regular girl... Or guy, I I think a great example of that is Adele. I was going to yeah. say I had actually written down Adele. Yeah, uh, yeah. But so, that yeah. was very much mm. like you know there's something about like she's a kind of ordinary ordinary girl done done good. Yeah, there's there's that going on. Done very good. May we add? <laughs> the other thing with with Adele as well, right? Quite recently, she's she's appeared um, a couple of times. Um, Having having lost some weight, right? Like she's lost weight. There's something about the the loss of the weight that shifts her from being a regular regular person to being somebody that all of a sudden is kind of wanting to. You know, if the reasons that she's doing it are to, to look good, mm. right? There's a there's a shift away from the ordinary and into the kind of the fabulous or whatever, right? And some people are really not happy about it. 
that could be for a whole heap of reasons. Could be for medical reasons. Maybe a doctor's told her. It's interesting, isn't it, that people have some people have responded not well to that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Just like with Miley Cyrus and the shift from the innocent to the rebel, there are people that are not like they don't like that. What's what's gone on there? Yeah. And you think why should it matter? Her voice is exactly the same, and you know she's still the artist that she is, and she's still going to be a great songwriter, a great vocalist. Sure. So what about that? Yeah. Now I, is, I personally. Yeah. Don't feel as strongly about that. Say the the uh, Miley Cyrus's shift from innocent to rebel, or from Adele mm. being from being ordinary to 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 something else. Right? Maybe there's a move to the lover there, or you know, I don't, mm. I, I wouldn't want to want to nail that down yet. But uh, the Arctic Arctic Monkeys, right? When mm. they first came out back in whenever it was two thousand and two thousand and four, when they started to become kind of more main mainstream. When they first came out, there were these these videos, and they were you know. They looked to be like your kind of standard um, working class lads. There was something about the ordinary person about them, um, and they, and there was something sage like about them as well. Like the the lyrics were very poetic and all that, um, and that, I felt that was a really nice uh, nice combo, right? Um, but then I remember I went to I think it was Leeds Leeds Festival. I saw them live, and they turned up and they'd moved from having kind of short back and sides, mm -hmm. maybe maybe kind of jeans or trackies, you know, they'd move from that to being like all, all mid, mid two thousands indie. Right. So skinny jeans and <laughs> kind of like, um, maybe, maybe leather jackets. And I wasn't happy about it. I was not <laughs> happy about it. <sighs> because a part of the, part of the attraction was the, the quote unquote ordinary, ordinariness mm. of it. Mm. Right, it's like suddenly it's the, they I suppose were it's the same reason why why on X Factor they show you they they show you like you know so they, the someone talking about their nan, the backstory, and you get to meet their mom and you see their dog or whatever. And do you know what I mean? There's something about we like to feel well. There's certainly a part of me. I mean, some people aren't into it, right? Fine, but there's certainly a part of me that likes likes to feel. And we're back to authenticity again. Mm right yeah. likes to feel like there's something real about them you know and when and when they stand on stage and they're all done up and they're they're they're, they're really sitting in a specific style and they've gone out of their way to not be ordinary um it jars with what you yeah unless that's who they were to begin with so because say if that's um uh i don't know somebody that's it's known for being you know uh, like uh, somebody like Celine Dion, for instance, who's known for wearing a great gown and for, yeah. you know, uh, that fits and that's kind of, that's what they want from them. But then if it's a sudden shift. Mm. Yeah. And I am a fan as well, right? Yeah. Like there's no reason why uh, you need to, as an artist, run around chasing me and worrying about moving necessarily from being ordinary to not being ordinary. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the times, you know, when an artist wants to change their sound or wants to change things up, and I know this having been, you know, uh, in-house at labels, um, mm. there is a resistance there. It's like we don't want to alienate the, the fan base. And is that because we believe that, the you know, the fan base isn't going to go on that journey with them? And maybe they won't. Like in your example of the Arctic Monkeys, how did that, did that result in you not being a fan anymore? Or did it, how did it, it play out? Yeah. And like, I still think their first album's their best album. Mm. Like, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I like I like their other stuff, but 
something shifted in me. Mm. But then, like, who cares? Like, I'm I'm a guy. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, they're doing really, really well for themselves. And, you know, wh- what right do I have to say, oh, that was the wrong... You know, it's not... It's just... Uh, you you care about as a fan, and this is the other thing that we've kind of we've kind of um, dabbled in. There's you aren't just um, you aren't just an artist in isolation. Mm. Yeah, part of our job um, in being involved in in creating things is about reaching across a divide, across a chasm, and um, finding other people to speak to. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing, though, because what you said just said there is like because there becomes a point where your archetype becomes then about sort of your brand identity and who you are, and that's mm. how people see you. So, for instance, I, we've got another visual on the screen here for those listening, and it's got our archetypal wheel again, and it's got the ones that Ben mentioned: the twelve core archetypes: the innocent, the hero, the regular guy slash girl, the healer, the creator, the explorer, the rebel, the lover, the ruler, the jester, the magician, and the sage. Mm. And when you look at brands like household brands you see that these play out with those as well so dove for instance the innocent nike is often seen as the hero you know it's yep just do it get up go and just do it it. exactly heinz you know it's kind of seen as you know a good old heinz beans or ketchup you know it's the regular it's the everyday yeah Uh, pg tips the healer you know it's kind of a bit of tea and sympathy you know oh come on i'll make you a cup of tea it's uh (laughs) apple you know as in apple um Macintosh. Apple, Apple Mac. Yeah, it's in it, right. uh, Apple computers. Uh, the creator, you know, always seen at the forefront of innovation and design. North Face, you know, they're all about, expl- you know, it's outdoor wear. It's go and climb that mountain, go and, you know, go on that trail, go on that trek. Uh, Harley Davidson kind of known for being, you know, outlaws and rebels and, mm-hmm. you know, not not living within the normal confines of society. Um, Chanel is kind of all about romance. So it's a lover. You know, uh, Rolex is associated with this sort of power and status. So, so the look ruler, at that icon there. Yeah, it's got a crown. It's a crown. It's literally <laughs> it's a crown. Literally got a crown. Yeah, it's, it's the ultimate expression of status, isn't it? And then you've got M and M's, which is the jester. You know, they're constantly. It's it's all you know, right from their visuals to their TV ads. It's they've got these little characters that are you know little comedy characters on on their that they built all their marketing around you know then the magician disney is an example of that you know it's wonder and it's um sort of joy and wonder etc and then google the sage um because they're sort of now become the font of of knowledge um and i then i just wanted to kind of cross check that with what artists look like so you mentioned i think ariana grande before or sorry, Miley Cyrus before. And Miley Cyrus started in The Innocent. And then you see there, she's gone over to The Rebel. And then you get Ariana Grande now taking that innocent position. I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. You know? Definitely, yeah. Alicia Keys as, as the hero, maybe because a lot of her music kind of talks about... Being a superwoman, yada, yada, She's yada. literally got a song called Superwoman. <laughs> you know? Louis Capaldi, I think a lot of people would consider to be like a regular. That's why a lot of people like Louis Capaldi is kind of, you know, down to earth. It's kind of... You know, even if you look at the visuals and the brand, he's there holding the can of la- a can of lager. It's you know not dressed up. It's in a hoodie, and you know it's attainable. And like you make down the pub, Taylor Swift mm. is often referred to the healer because of her 
relationship with her fans. It's very supportive. It's, you know, uh, Lord's the creator. She, I think the reason Lord is a good example for the creators because she sort of cut against the sort of tendency of what kind of commercial pop was doing at the time. She's like, well, I'm actually going to be more like Stevie Nicks or be more like Kate Bush and sort of, put, you know, who, who are also probably creators. Um, Ed Sheeran's kind of seen as the explorer. You know, he's just got his guitar and he's off to see the world. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the yeah. initial... Um, PR story around Ed Sheeran was this thing that they sort of labored on for, I think, for the good kind of year or so, like when they were building building his uh, identity up. And it was that he was crashing on friend, he was sofa surfing and playing gigs and sofa surfing, like for, mm. for the best part of a year, um, longer than a year, while he was, you know, putting together this album. And that's kind of there, right there. It's like the Explorer, isn't it? Mm. Yep. Um, then you've got, again, as, as you said earlier, Ben, Adele in the lover section now, actually. So she's maybe transitioned from that every girl position possibly and maybe not maybe she'll stay in that mm. as you're talking it, it, it's perfectly possible as well by the way for artists to sit and live within in more than one yeah. in more than one yeah, yeah. so absolutely and i'd yeah. say that most of them do i'd say that very few actually just live in in in, in one and it's more often that you've got maybe sort of 60 percent of one and then you know, 20%, well, 20%, you know, it might be broken down that way. But I think this, the idea of the archetypal world is probably something that I always, when we sit down with an artist early on, we sit down and kind of go go through this and actually try and place them. And like you say, they might be in one or two places. And then that helps sort of the strategy and it helps define sort of the, you know, the branding because, you because the you know, you have to think about things. I'm going to, I'm going to stop sharing screen now. So we're in this day and age where, where all the marketing kind of has to come from the artist much more than it ever has, you know, especially with social media, that your tone of voice is ever, ever more important, I think. Mm. So how important do you think it is, and I kind of want to get both of your thoughts on this, to, to go with an artist through this process and actually get them to start thinking about it in that way? Um, right. So I would say it depends on... It's, so so a lot of my work is with is with students and you know this this kind of stuff will come come when I'm when we when we're thinking about them putting together the live show or uh, when we maybe when we're talking about song interpretation and that kind of thing um so when how important is it it depends on them and where they're at Sometimes a student can turn up and they've got quite a well-rounded, maybe not in those terms. They might not be describing themselves using that, that language, but they've got a kind of quite a well-rounded idea about um, who, the, what, who their artistic persona is, like what, how they want to mm. present, present themselves. Um, it's, it's, when, it's when students are kind of unsure. That's the point when I'll start introducing the archetypal wheel stuff, just as a kind of tool. Rather than for it to be something that they then get hamstrung on, I suppose, and, and go, oh, I have, I have to slot into one of these. Because that can be a detriment then, can't it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How many different types of character are there in, in, you know, in, in the media that we, mm. we consume? How many different stories are there, right? There's, there's so many different um, kind of types of people um, that we could draw on out there to, to help inform our artistic persona. Um, uh there's there's other other things i will use as well i, I like core values as an as an exercise right it's, you basically play the why game uh. right so pick something you like okay why do you like it oh some reason and then I'll, then well why do you like that 
oh, some reason. Well, why do you like that? Why do you like that? Eventually, you'll get to a place where there's one little concept or one word or, or, or something that kind of sits at the bottom of their reasoning and they can't then go beyond it, you know. what? Well, one of a few things will happen. Either there'll be like a little loop, okay, so, you know, maybe we start with what's your favourite food and then they, then they say, I don't know, cheese and then you say, well, why do you like cheese? And they say, well, because it's tasty. Well, why do you like tasty things? Well, because X, Y, Z. And you get down to the bottom and maybe at the bottom of that, the, the two values that arise are love and joy or something right mm. i don't know and then you might be saying well why do you want joy in your life or why do you like joy and then they say well because the, the happier i'm it means the more more loving i can be or well, why do you want love well the more loving i am it, it means i can bring more joy to other people around me so then you get these little loops that's one way mm. and another way of knowing that you've hit a core value is you just can't answer the question like well why do you like joy in your life well what do you mean why do i it's obvious yeah so if if a student gets to a place where they're just like, well, it's obvious, I can't answer that question. That's just it's clear why you would want more joy in your life, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, then we know we've hit on a core value of joy, because um, it's a reward in and right. of itself, and isn't it? The other thing that can happen too sometimes is that people start getting all biological and anthropological about it. So they say, oh well, you know, joy is a uh, joy is an emotion felt by human beings to help support the <laughs> mating, or you know, helps them go and f- find healthy food, right? you've hit a core value yeah Yeah. so that notion of a core value like we all have them as individuals but there's a nice question to ask which is well what do i want my what are the core values of my artistic persona Mm. right Mm. now yours might your as an individual as your your true quote unquote true self your core value might well be um love right but you might want to toy with the idea of having an artistic persona whose core value is hate Mm -hmm. how does that change the way your artistic persona presents themselves how does it change the 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 way you dress up the music you make the way that you you know the the photographs you want taken and placing the how you move around the stage right how you form your words as a vocalist mm. yeah or play your instrument you know so um core values is is an is another great one to toy with right now do core values exist like are, 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 do, as as, a, as an individual, do you have a, co- a set of core values that you hold on to throughout your entire life that never change? Well, I doubt that. Mm. Nonetheless, it's a fun tool to play with in the construction of an artistic persona. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm sorry. That's I, I know it's it's different to the archetype, but it, it, it's an it's another little tool that you yeah. can play with with an artist to help them find what it is that they want to say and the way they want to say it. And how conscious do you think it is? Because like somebody like Bjork, for instance, right? where, you know, where would you put her on the archetypal wheel? To me, she's a creator. Creator, explorer. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere there. But there's also something sage-like about her as well. Like she did, she did that album where she was playing with electricity, wasn't she? Mm. So there's, you know, there's there's a kind of quite a scientific piece to some of her work as well. And, and she did one where it was all, every in, bit of instrumentation on it was just sample. It was her going out and recording samples in nature. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Yeah. That's exploratory then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really exploratory. But then mm. there's an element of her live shows that's the magician because she's there in these very 
almost costume. Mm. Mm. It's not even style. It's almost costuming, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of part. But it's interesting because maybe those things are all, you know, if you're a magician, you also tend to be a bit of a creator as well. And you tend to be. Mm. I would agree. That these things will overlap. Mm. And actually, you're going to you're going to have a a, a big chunk of one of those other archetypes. So so it's it's almost like a personality type as well, I suppose, isn't it? That very few people are just one personality type, that's it. You've got X amount of this personality, X mm. amount of this, and they sort of they're a blend. Yeah. Yep. And it's almost like I suppose for artists maybe rather than thinking about it this really rigid thing, it's more these are ingredients. Mm. Right. Yep, absolutely. Um and just on as as the the question you asked about Bjork, well I've I've no idea how um how aware she is mm. of of her process whether the stuff just comes to her right but mm. if bjork walked in a room and wanted to work with me i would not lay out an archetypal wheel for her i don't think like, <laughs> she knows exactly what mm. she wants to do and yeah. it's just you know if she comes with a question yeah and she's like I, I but i don't think bjork would because i don't that's certainly where she is now yeah if at the start of her career maybe that would be different yeah sure i mean she might come to you chris and be like uh so i have this brand this is me this is who i am mm-hmm. and we're on the we're on the lookout for partnering with some other other large like non-musical brands you know so mm-hmm. like i don't know um heinz wouldn't be such a good fit for bjork i don't think <laughs> partly because of what we've been talking about right maybe when it's outside of the musical realm then maybe this stuff might be useful for Bjork, but you know, I, again, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what her process is in this day and age, actually, when artists, and, and we'll talk about this in, in one of our next podcasts in a little bit more detail, mm. um, the, the, you know, about the industry and about revenue streams and things like that. But in a, in a, in an age where artists are seeing depleted revenue streams, or at least having to be much more creative about how they, <laughs> they make their living brand arrangements and brand deals um and brand i won't even say brand deals that makes it sound so um transactional but brand partnerships are you know are the kind of things that actually brands need to think about whether it's like you know lipton iced tea supporting you know sponsoring their tour or whatever it is lots of other iced tea brands also (laughs) (laughs) but it might be that you know there'll be a when you have a sort of level of success and uh, awareness as an artist, there, there will be a point where that is now a consideration. And being able to to think about yourself in the, in these archetypal ways can actually be a helpful, you know, you're going to know, well, that brand's definitely not going to fit for me, that brand will. So it's a tool that you can use at the start of your creative journey, but then also later down the line potentially to know what what kind of brand is going to fit and i think this is the thing because but once we've launched an artist we want or when even actually before that when we're in the process of launching them from a marketing perspective you want to be able to really simplistically say who they are when we were you know launching sam smith it was the love child of boy george and adele Mm. that was it that was and it was that simple and that is the core strategy so already you know well we've got a bit of the lover in there we've got a bit of the every person in there we've probably got a bit of the um magician maybe in there too and certainly the creator 
but then you really need to harness that down into what the audience is gonna connect with and it was the lover that really connected with everything because they're love songs the the album is about heartbreak and love and you know that became sort of the core message which then became the core artist brand Mm. because there's a point where it becomes bigger than you and it and it goes on into the fan base and it's it's almost it's uh, it takes on a life of its own because now you have a fan base you know you've gone through the process you've defined who you are as an artist and that's now in your lyrics it's in your stage show it's in your outfits it's in your visuals and um it's now out there in the world and that's who you are but now you feel oh i'm, I'm second album now and i kind of want to do this now and i feel like that's not me anymore mm. and that's when you then there there's a a tricky uh road to navigate then how you you know do do because like you like you said earlier about your arctic monkeys example sometimes people want you to be fixed in that you know you don't want to alienate them but then you need to be able to grow as an artist as well and that's that's a tricky area and that's something we'll that um we'll probably talk about a little bit more and i suppose musically amir that comes back to you because you all know who they are when they come back to you for the second album and they're in the process of writing and they've got some songs down and it's like, like, Oh, this isn't what I thought. And you mentioned you're in a repositioning phase actually with an artist at the yeah, moment. So essentially that's what we are doing. We are repositioning um, mm. the artists for, cause they haven't released music for a little while. Mm. And actually the last song that they released was, was bloody huge. Right. Mm. So, um, there is, and it's so funny because, you know, I know you guys particularly um, through the work that you've done, Chris, and the marketing, Ben, on education and just generally being the explorers that you are. I knew that you you have this archetype wheel up. It's not a concept that I'm that familiar with, if I'm perfectly honest with you, but um, you kind of look at it and you kind of apply it to how does that work in the studio and the example that I'm giving you um, they might have been seen as someone who was innocent uh, they mm. might have been seen as someone who was um, definitely on that kind of side of things and I had a session with her yesterday and we discussed the possibility of because she's using some explicit language Right. Well, we discussed the possibility of of doing a radio version of that and she said I don't want to do that and so she's positioned herself somewhere else on that wheel now because she's no longer you know um, that pop princess and all of that kind of stuff and initially these are the conversations the conversations us we're having initially before we get into the studio we we she had expressed that. So obviously what happens in the creative process and in that phase is we need to now go through and think about how that applies to the sound, um, the music, the image. Uh, how can we take her away from that? And now she's taking, she's not really moving into the rebel, but she's rebelling who against who she was before, but she might be picking up on a couple of other parts of that wheel. Um, but there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a place for that. Um, 
kind of way of looking things in the studio. And I would imagine we've spoken about a Beyonce and, and Adele and, you know, um, someone who I imagine would do this quite a lot actually was Prince because Prince was like he was... Prince was extremely prolific. Like, I mean, that guy, if you go and look at how many albums he's actually released, you'd be shocked. Um, there's a huge vault of music as well. Uh, but Prince actually, in reality, he's was very shy and he was an introvert. Um, and you would never think that from any of his shows or anything like that. But I think that um, him and many other creators on that kind of Prince level, they would look at Will and they would go, who am I going to be on this album? Right. Um, Maybe you're spinning I, I think, that wheel at each, <laughs> each album. Just spin it and randomly yeah. point it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe or, that would be a fun exercise for an artist to do, actually. Exactly. Just today, I'm just going to make this kind of record. Let's see who yeah. I'm going to be today. And yeah. actually, right, that might right, be... Right. A, useful you may not ever use any of those songs they may never see the light of the day light of day but it might be an interesting tool just to use to well we spoke about this last week um creators creators writing block um mm. right you could use the wheel as put a little bottle on it and spin it and uh and then write a song in that vein with that archetype. and hey if you don't have to be using it you can always give it to another artist. Exactly. <laughs> you can always sure. get your publishing on it. <laughs> yeah. And and if you, you've got a language to discuss it and you've got an idea in advance of the kind of the, the place it's gonna gonna go, what kind of artist it's gonna work with. Mm. Um, I mean I just wanted to track back to, to this this potential um issue here um that you that you talked about. Um and one of the advantages of being able to name something like whether you call it uh, rebelliousness or you you know you play the core values game and the artist decides that at the base of that core value they they want somebody who is self assured or there's there's something about maybe freedom as a core value at the at the base of the artist that's insistent on releasing explicit only material but. If you can get to the core of that, and then like there's there's something in that desire with this artist that they want to express, mm. but there are loads of different ways of expressing that. Yeah, and you know, and, there, and this is the other other piece too, right? Which is you can do it musically, like the the choice of the timbres that you that you that you stick on the album. Like, can you express that rebelliousness, that rage, without using explicit language? Is the artist willing? and able to explore other ways of, of showing that part of themselves that don't involve lyric, because that might be quite a complementary way of dealing with it, and it might be something the artist is, is happy with. And it may not either, you know. Obviously, it's your project, of course. But being able to get to the underpinning drivers mm. and then thinking about other ways or, or as many different ways of expressing that particular drive. Mm. Yeah, so... Miley Cyrus could have been a rebel in a number of different ways. Of mm, course, right? yeah. yeah. Loads of different ways. Yeah. Like the music, the music changed a bit, but it was still kind of largely pop. Mm. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's the visuals and the attitude. That's the kind of. Mm. Yeah, that was the thing that shifted. And so for her, in, in altering the visual 
the visual brand, that was enough to carry the message that she wanted to carry. At least that was what we end up seeing. So, like, the rebelliousness was captured in a different way. Yeah. And also the, the, the calling of the song Wreck- Wrecking Ball, you know, you're taking a wrecking ball to your pre- the previous iteration of yourself. If you can get to the place where whatever that, um, the, the desire and the drive to want to produce, um, produce music that's got swear words in it, right? <laughs> if, if you can find other ways of allowing that to, to, to express itself, maybe the, um, maybe, maybe the swear words, will, we, we, can, we can let go of, you know, we'll, we'll make the changes we need to, as long as I'm showing my rebelliousness in all of these other ways. You know? Yeah. Right. So it might be saying to an artist, there's another way to achieve that. There are loads of ways of looking like a badass. And if you're feeling like you want to be a badass, that's brilliant. But, you know, if, <laughs> yeah. if we get some brownie points from the label because we, we're willing to do radio edits. Right. And they're willing to exchange it for X, Y, Z, other thing, then, you know. Right. And that leads us quite nicely, actually, into um, what we're going to talk about next week, mm. um, which will be mm. the creative and composition elements which will be will really focus on the the music creation and composition the recording and all of the everything that goes into that mm. which will be a, a i hope a, a fascinating conversation um and that's but that sort of brings us to the end of this episode today unless there's any final thoughts from my two esteemed co-hosts <laughs> you're far too kind i'm not <laughs> esteemed at all <laughs> um, uh, i would just say that you know my final thought in this is um i i think that many of the guidelines that have been laid out um by using archetypal wills and 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 kind of defining your core values um they're they're loose guidelines for everyone i guess um and and it's good to have those as something that's there that is a tool that you can actually use mm. to know yourself, but also know <laughs> yourself as an artist, you are going to change. And we've all experienced changes, haven't we? Um, the three of us, mm-hmm. we met each other. We were different people. Um, we were, you know, we had a different yeah. relationship with music almost. Um, and our relationships changed yeah. over time. And it's not like, you know, we feel like we're missing out or anything by having changed it um, in whatever way. And I think that that's the important thing. Knowing yourself is knowing also that you are going yeah. to change. It's That's the thing. It's, and, it's who uh, you are at that moment. Yeah. As Jennifer Lopez once said, this is me then. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Jennifer Lopez fan, you will get that. If you're not, you won't. Um, what about you, Ben? Any uh, final sort of thoughts on that subject yeah so just um just one uh, uh, last few things I, I wanted to just reiterate that um the distinction between oneself like one's true self and and uh, the art uh, the artistic persona um they're they're always separate even if we you know we might trick ourselves into believing that we're being our true selves on our <laughs> on our in our music right um but you're always you're always you're always choosing who you who you want to present which parts of yourself you want to present mm. um and you also have the freedom to to go places where you your true self doesn't wouldn't want to go mm. and that's part of the fun that's what creativity is so yeah and maybe that's where the best start comes from yeah yeah true absolutely well 
So on that note, um, I want to thank you for listening. We have been charting tracks um, and you can listen to this episode and our other episodes on all good places where you get your podcasts. <laughs> and uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, at Charting Tracks. And there you'll also be able to get the show notes uh, where we will make available the archetypal wheel and those visuals um, so you can have those as references. But until next time, thanks for listening. We've been Charting Tracks. Bye. Bye.